Welcome to episode 28 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. And today we're talking about a very interesting technique with your shutter speed. Yes, we are talking about long exposure. I know Henry and I do lots of it. That's probably a big bulk of our outdoor nature photography. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, especially if I'm around water, it's not frozen. I'm doing a long exposure of some capacity. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's, it's just something that I've really grown to like, and I'd probably put it in like, if you want to like break it down by genre, I guess, um, I'd probably put it in my, like my top three most used techniques when I'm like out in the field. Yeah. Like you said, with flowing water, it's just so much fun, but you can also use it with other techniques and other different subject matter as well. Yeah. It's, it's very versatile. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of like the hidden art of cameras. I feel like, like mm -hmm. the, the beginner just really doesn't know about it. Once you kind of unlock that, it, it gets crazy. Like the amount of stuff you can do with it. I think like, cause I've exhibit, I have exhibits of my work and everything in galleries and other places or have previously. And like people seem to be really, maybe the non photographer people will say they seem really drawn to those silky smooth, like water flowing uh, photographs. And they're like, how'd you take those? Cause they're just, they're so interested in that. And I think it's because like most of us with our phones can't quite capture that same feeling as he came with like a traditional, like a DSLR and it just, it doesn't work the same way with long exposure. You can't really replicate that, that look, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, even if there's like a long exposure, exposure setting on your phone. Mm -hmm. Is there, is that a thing really? Hello. Hello. I cut out. Sorry. Okay. Can you hear me now? I'll just, I'll, yeah, I'll just continue. All right. So. All right. <laughs> so even if, um, like your phone has like some phones I know nowadays have like a long exposure ability. It's really not the same. Cause like with like a DSLR or like a mirrorless camera, you can really just experiment with different shutter speeds. Like you don't even always have to do like the longest one. You can like, experiment and see what looks best with water and it's just really versatile mm -hmm. yeah that's neat yeah I, I really don't think i don't think my phone has that feature but um that's something i'd really like to try someday you know if i do get an upgraded mm -hmm. phone i guess yeah i think the new uh like iphones do hmm. sure. interesting taking notes i guess you know put on like a little tabletop tripod i guess or i don't know how else you'd mount that prop it up against something mm -hmm. like a wall <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people put their phones on full tripods for long exposures. Hmm. I, I still don't think it really, I still don't think it really captures the essence of it, though. I think yeah. it's going to be a while till that really catches up. I think it's like the depth of it. Like if it can mimic or uh, I guess replicate the shutter speed, then it might work. But like it doesn't have the same depth as like a glass lens would. I, just my opinion, but I could be totally wrong. Yeah. And the yeah. larger sensor look as well, because mm -hmm. um, I, I was actually reading about long exposures a while back. Um, and even if you're at like ISO 100 or 800 or something, you still get noise in your long exposures. Like it, there's something that goes on with the process that introduces noise. Um, mm -hmm. And on a phone that could be pretty bad with longer exposures. So you really need that nice and large sensor to like soak in all the light. <laughs> so can yeah it probably overheats too i'd imagine but you know just an idea yeah. if it's really like drawing Especially, out that yeah, shutter 
Yeah, since it's an electronic sensor, getting kind of technical on the phones, mm-hmm. it has to like scan it. Versus with on the DSLR mirrorless, it's mechanical, so it's just taking the information on the sensor. Yeah, there's no moving parts on the phone per se, but like the actual camera would, you know, obviously have a shutter and aperture and parts the the mirror flipping and locking up and down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we might as well like turn back around to the start here. Now, like, what exactly is long exposure? How would you describe it, Henry? So I would say long exposure is anything past um, like one tenth of a second on a camera. So any shutter speed that introduce introduces like a lot of motion into an image. Uh, I'd say long exposure is mostly like a, a landscape thing, um, but it can also be used for wildlife creatively, um, abstract images, all kinds of stuff. But where it really started was with landscapes. Um, and I mean, that's, that's really how I define it. I think it's just a cool way to give something a different look than what you're used to. Right. I, I guess if I had to define it, I'd probably say something similar, but, um, to put a little spin on your definition, I'd say it's just any, any shot that's, I wouldn't really tie it down to a shutter, but you're right about like the 10th of a second. That's a, I'd consider that a slow or a long exposure. Um, but I would just say it's like any shot that's, isn't static movement. So if you got like a horse, I don't know, moving, running through a field and you got it like on a nice, let's say two thousandths of a second a shutter, it's like, that's going to be freezing the frame pretty, pretty, uh, crap. What do you call crap? I just messed up. I'm sorry. I'll just start talking from the, okay. So for example, it's like if you had a horse running through a field and you're shooting at like a two thousandth of a second, that's pretty fast. And you're going to capture that movement, the action as it's just moving, running across the field, basically. And um, if you slow it down, you know, to a point where it's blurring that motion, that would consider that a long exposure. Um, so yeah, there's definitely slower, you know, shutters, but like, it, I just say it's essentially, it's like the movement itself. So if it's a waterfall or a bird flying away, it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's a longer exposure, literally. Um, that's how I describe it at least. Yeah, it's very, people will say it's unnatural, um, but especially kind of those mid-range long exposure shutter speeds, they're very realistic to what the human eye sees versus like the one two thousandth of a second. Like, mm-hmm. You know, that, that'll make a nice wildlife shot, but that's just not what the human eye sees. Really. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like it's unnatural per se, because it's literally showing the movement of like an animal or, a waterfall or whatever but yeah it's like you just said it's it's not really what the human eye sees so that, i think that's why that kind of why we're so drawn to these kind of images and taking them and appreciating them is just because it's so different from what you know the human eye can really see and uh, grasp i guess with reality yeah um mm-hmm. the only time i would say it like goes into like a natural um would probably be like those really long ones where the water is like glass you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. It's just, you know, different looks for different styles of photographs. Yeah, I mean, like, when you say, like, glass-like effect, I, I imagine, like, the 10-stop neutral density filter, and it's, like, just a clear still, like a shallow lake or something, and it's in black and white. That's kind of, like, what I picture, I guess. But, yeah, you're definitely right about that. It's has a little bit of different spin, I guess, on longer exposure, because... There's the, the movement's very subtle, but it's not really um, overtly, I guess, obvious to the, the viewer. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what kind of subjects do you like to shoot with long exposures? I know a bunch of different people use them for different reasons. So what do you mm-hmm. like? Um, I mean, it, it goes without saying, but first and foremost would be waterfalls. That's probably, I'd say 90, 95% of what I shoot long exposure wise. And, um, there's quite fortunately here in Ohio, Southwest Ohio, there's like a huge abundance of waterfalls. Um, particularly if you're trying to chase waterfalls, um, or I call it waterfall hunting, or there's many different ways you could say it. Um, I'd say spring, springtime is like a go-getter. That's a good time of year. Um, just cause the snow's melting away. It's flowing it's making the waterways flow a lot more with all that extra water and you're going to find waterfalls in different like spots that you may not have even previously seen if it's been a dry season or uh, it's just frozen up for the winter. Um, so I, I recommend spring. And if you can choose a nice overcast day when it's rainy, that's going to be the, probably the perfect time to take these beautiful waterfall shots. Um, at least, yeah, ones I like to take at least um, everyone's, I guess, opinions different. Um, but yeah, I just say recommend that. I mean, you can obviously shoot some waterfalls all times a year. It's just whatever you choose, like compositionally speaking or what colors in the background, everything you want to look like. Um, but yeah, it's a spring and rainy days. And if you can overcast and it, it just all works out together with that green foliage, um, looking very moist, I guess, you know, with all the the rainwater all over it. It's one of the few times that a kind of similar color palette works like there's in those summer scenes there's really not that much contrast in color but it just works mm-hmm. like the aesthetic you get from that um, yeah and with water with waterfalls and like what you mentioned with seasons as well um you can also get cool winter ones like i know like icy waterfalls are very desirable mm-hmm. for shots I guess the good thing about those is you really don't need to take a long exposure though. <laughs> That's the nice thing. About yeah. those. When they're frozen uh-huh. up, it's like, I doubt they're going to be moving. So uh-huh. it's one a little one hundredth of a second. Yes. <laughs> Handheld <laughs> image stabilization. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I will say in summer, it's a little bit trickier. Like you just said, Henry with um, uh, shooting waterfalls is that usually dry up by then because it just gets too hot and humid and everything. Um, but there's a few that stick around for the summer. Probably like I would say the biggest ones, um, the ones that just flow from, you know, bodies of water and mouths of rivers and big creeks and stuff, those might be flowing in the summer. Um, but still they might be diminished greatly in their amount of water that's flowing through it. Um, so I would say, yeah, definitely spring, um, probably March, April, May, maybe you can get oh, some yeah. good ones in June. Depends on where they are. But like, like I said, it, it really, what matters most is the rainy days. You want to go after a really heavy rainfall or, you know, even if it's raining that day, just go out anyways, it's going to be great flowing. Mm-hmm. Just protect your gear, of course, but it's worth it. And I, th- I think you mentioned this earlier, but make sure you have neutral lighting. It doesn't have to be like completely like gloomy, but make sure there's oh, yeah. not too much of like harsh shadows on the waterfall and stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just gonna be less desirable, I think, of a photograph. You know, so uh-huh. it's just I, if it, the rain, if it was like a bright sunny day and it was spring and raining like on a sun showers, I guess. But um, yeah, I just wouldn't be quite worth it, I guess to me it just mm. wouldn't be worth it for these kind of subject matter yeah i'm excited yeah. we're we're coming up on the season i've already got like a list of <laughs> ones i want to go to there's a handful um especially some like older ones older shots i've taken like three four years ago by now um, i'm going to revisit them hopefully and they're gonna i hope i can take better photographs of them now some updated ones if you will um but yeah i same here i have a few that are kind of in my area that i've found from like really obscure websites or um, just like forums, I guess, you know, just talking about these different falls and I'm, I'm stoked, you know, always finding new ones is really exciting to me. 
So yep. looking forward to it. I have a I have a very uh, like soft place in my heart for waterfalls. <laughs> uh, my first photography award was a waterfall image. So oh cool, it'll always cool. be important to me. Yeah, and my last photography award as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But it, it was uh, it was best affair at the Kentucky State Fair, so I was pretty. Oh, happy. cool, cool. Yeah, right on. I almost applied to my county's fair because I saw they had like a little art gallery, like a pop up tent. You should. You should. Maybe I'll put my waterfall shot in there. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool though. Why not? Yeah, exactly. I, it's just something cool about, I don't know, it's it's like a subject matter that like, it's not just going to shut off in front of you. At least I don't think it will. So like, you can just hunker down for an hour or two and take your time. At least I have. Um, and you can take your time. And it's just, yeah, slow down, really think about your compositions and uh, work the scene in front of you. And it's something about like the loud water, the rushing, if it's like white water or something, it's like, it's almost comes kind of meditative and calm after a while. Like you get used mm -hmm. to that loudness, I guess. So, but there's, they're just so yeah. much fun to take, you know, it's just so much And there's fun. like, there's like natural, like compositional shapes built in. Like sometimes you'll get like oh, S-curve yeah. waterfalls or just nice patterns in the water. And you're almost guaranteed to get a good foreground, whether it be like bubbles or water streams or just rocks. Like, yeah. Big old boulder right really in the foreground. Picture. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I'll yeah, be no. doing a lot of this. Yeah. <laughs> right in the middle of the foreground. Yeah dead center yeah it's it's and like i said with the rainy days is it really does like like i said in spots you never even imagined would open up these waterfalls and these flowing streams and it's it's pretty cool because you know the more water the better flowing um it's going to show all these different cascades if there are any um and just all that sort so it's just neat to see where these kind of things i guess these natural phenomenons pop up and they just flow out it's pretty neat so mm. it's fun chasing them like i said yeah um so i was i was thinking about um kind of like shutter speed uh like long exposures uh particularly for waterfalls because it's it's an issue that people actually get like tripped up trip up <laughs> can't speak tripped up on uh frequently so uh do you tend to go on kind of the longer side of long exposures for waterfalls or what's kind of your methodology for that uh, okay. Good question. Yeah. Um, so like the bigger, the fall, like if it's like a really intense white water, that's like, I don't know, let's say it's like an amphitheater kind of drop off like in a gorge and it's got like a nice big flow to it. Um, I would use a much longer, uh, shutter, uh, much slower rather. And if it was like just a small little trickle of a Creek or a stream and I wanted to get a long exposure, I use a much faster shutter. Um, and simply because that slower shutter is going to really elongate the flow of the bigger falls. Um, and so a Creek really doesn't need a shutter of like a few seconds necessarily. If it's just like a little trickle, you know, down the stream and down your frame of your composition. So, you know, that's just my choice, but, um, that's usually how I approach them is the bigger they are, the more longer exposure I do for them. Yeah, that's, that's a good strategy. Um, it's, it's kind of like a case by case thing. I feel like you really just gotta yeah. like experiment. Because um, I, I know some people, and when I say some people, this is really just me. Um, when I first got like my first set of ND filters, I would slap it on, uh, do ISO 100, F11, and whatever, <laughs> whatever, uh, whatever like shutter speed, like balance the exposure I would use on a waterfall. Oh, um, so, you know, depending on the lighting, I got different waterfall looks and it just wasn't the most effective thing. Then I realized that I shouldn't be afraid to bump up my ISO. Like I use... 2000 ISO for wildlife and get great images. 
why can't I you know, use it for landscapes? So I realized that so I could, you know, get some nice different shutter speeds to show the texture and motion. Right, right. Yeah, that, that those settings you just mentioned probably work for maybe one waterfall in particular, but like every other one's going to be so different. At least I think, you know, each one kind of delivers its own compositional challenges and everything. It's like you really have to find what works best for them, um, given like the con conditions in front of you. Yep. That's what it's, I mean, that's what's really important with that. Um, for like waterfall, uh, do you ever find yourself in like treacherous conditions with waterfalls? Like, um, I mean, like weird situations. Like dangerous, them? like you uh, fall in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a few in particular. Um, there's, there's just pretty decent gorge habitat, like a big gorge. It's at a nature reserve near me. And uh, it has like a big creek and there's like this part where it's like not so secretive now because I've seen a lot of photographers in my area uh, have photographed this one doing long exposure. Um, but, you know, back in back in the day, like three years ago, when I started going here a lot for um, these images, these kind of images, um, it has these giant big boulders that you can stand on, but they're kind of like pointed ones. And if it's like, like I said, a rainy day, they're kind of slippery. So if you don't have the right traction you could easily fall in and it's not, it's not deep. I don't think it's like deep enough to drown in, but like it's enough that you could just drop your camera and stuff, which obviously I don't want more of. And um, so there's a few situations you just have to use your best judgment. If it's like rainy and you see this really shiny, slippery rock, like and even if you have like the most uh, well traction boots, like it's just, I don't know. You just have to use proper judgment and don't overstep your boundaries and, yeah, just, I don't know. Anytime I like jump to a place, like a jump over a creek or some, something like that, it's like, I like to make sure if I can turn around, I can make a safe and easy exit back. You know what I mean? Like oh, I, yeah. Because there's like one, there's one time, yeah, there's one time I was wearing like little running shoes, like not waterproof. And it was a rainy day. Um, I was actually cycling out to, I think it was like September. It was like cycled out to a place near me, um, a local nature reserve. And there's like a creek there. And I was doing some like long exposure because it's nice overcast. Like I said, rainy day. And I like jumped down and I was like, I cannot get up back where I started. It was only like a couple feet, but still it was just like, everything's wet, slippery. And I'm like, I'm just got to trudge. I'm really going to have to run through this creek just to get out of this place. Mm -hmm. you know, so, and uh, yeah, just, just be smart with it. I've never been in any situations where I was like truly like, you know, drowning or in danger. Um, but you know, just, yeah use your best caution. I mean, some shots you may think are worth the risk and I'm not going to say I've never been in that situation where I have like, we'll say risk myself or my gear just to get a shot. But like, you know, more often than not, it's not going to be worth it. You know, your life or something, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. I don't know if you saw Gavin Hardcastle's latest video, uh, uh, but he uh, literally wades through frigid water to get a shot of a, a frozen waterfall in like Vancouver Island, Canada, which is freezing, absolutely freezing. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking, but he had his camera. He didn't even have his camera protected. He was just holding it on the tripod and the camera was like he inches from the water. Stuff all the time. <laughs> I don't know. He's hilarious. He up to his waist. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I've done yeah. that in years. <laughs> Been there before. Yeah, I've never, I've never luckily been in that situation but i i do deal with the slipperiness that that can get pretty treacherous sometimes well, he, he puts himself um, in that situation i think too <laughs> yeah yeah um a tip that i use is uh 
using your tripod as a support to get down like a say it's at the bottom of a cliff like kind of use your tripod a little bit to help because it, if you have a sturdy enough one it could be like a nice walking stick um make sure you don't slip i just probably want to keep my camera on the top because i make it kind of tough <laughs> yeah don't do that yeah. yeah i'm just imagining like slipping anyways and having that thing just smack right in the ground <laughs> or something uh, terrible yeah i yeah. wouldn't recommend that but um i will say it's like then, there's a there's a few i think there's a couple instances where like if it's like a really big waterfall or you just happen to be like way up close to it at the base of it you're gonna get a lot of mist if there's a lot of wind even if there's no wind it still can kick up water and mist um, onto your camera gear so just bring like cloths and necessary you know I guess like a rain jacket, even if you need to, even if it's like a nice normal day, that's not raining, it's going to still kick up that mist. So if you don't want to get wet, you know, I'd recommend a rain jacket or a poncho um, and cloths for like cleaning your filters and lenses. Cause you might have to do that. I know I've been in this situation a lot. You might have to clean those and wipe those after every exposure, just cause it just kicks up so much uh, water and debris onto your, your gear. Yep. Um, and make sure you have a nice dry place to put your camera bag as well. Mm -hmm. um, whether it be near you or even if you can position it maybe above the cliff. Um, I'm just, I don't know why I'm saying cliff, but above like the area, uh, just make sure it's out of the way, make sure it can't slip. Um, and just make sure you can keep everything dry. Uh, and I yeah. would say, don't be afraid to go in the Creek as long as you're not disrupting like a natural habitat. Um, and as long as you have like the proper gear, yeah, always like test the water. Like if you're going, let's say the water's going like uh, left to right and you're going like against it, like, uh, sorry, if you're going like through it, you know, you want to make sure the speed isn't like so much that you just get swept away because it could happen, of course. Um, so just start out with like the shallowest of creeks and see how well you can really, I guess, handle that kind of physical uh, fortitude, if you will. Yep. Or yeah. where waiting Fortitude boots. is... <laughs> Fortitude is essential in those creeks. You do not want to fall in. Yeah, you want some good feet. So go, go on some jogs or a nice run. Do some cycling. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I'll get your legs, muscles going. There you go. Just do some foot exercises. <laughs> some squats. Do your squat. I mean, like, if we're being honest, like, seriously, like, you have to really be physically adept to, like, hike and with all your camera gear. Like, it takes a lot, you know? Yeah. I, I really you say. Have a good back definitely that if you carry a lot but yeah it's like i wouldn't say i necessarily train i mean i do work out and exercise of course but like i wouldn't necessarily say i train to like go on a photo op like but still it's like you have to be kind of physically adept yeah because you can't just you know get swept away in a creek or, or a river i don't know but just, yeah especially for us wildlife and landscape photographers it's <laughs> you want to carry almost the double the gear sometimes photo. yeah yeah <laughs> I guess in this case, I wouldn't really use a big telephoto though for uh, these long exposure, unless it was like a mile away. I don't know. <laughs> Do you, have you ever experimented with that? Like some close up long exposure stuff? Uh, I've see, I've done some telephoto, smaller telephoto, like uh, 150 mil um, or less, I guess. But like, it's, it's a weird look and I don't really like it because telephoto compresses the distance, obviously of your, you know, subject foreground, mid and background, but like, I kind of like the depth of a wide angle in this case. Water, waterfalls usually look, and especially if it's like a really, really drop, like a big drop off of one, sometimes I have to back up so far as I can safely get, like especially if it's a railed off location um, at a, let's say, nature preserve, and I can't go off trail. 
there's a few instances where I had to like back up as far as I can get that wide angle, you know, just right. And it's still barely enough to capture like from the base all the way to the top, you know, and that's, and that's in a vertical composition, of course, orientation. Um, but yeah, I find that to be trickier with a lot of them. If they're really tall ones, um, it's just finding that nice, I guess, spaciousness of it, you know, just to capture the whole thing in one frame. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a place for both, but I, I agree with you. The, the yeah. depth is really important for that. Uh, yeah. You can, what you said about the compression, like a waterfall, like the way the rocks stick out and stuff, the telephoto really just kind of ruins that. It just kind of makes it kind of a flat image. It goes against like, because the long exposure, like we said, it's already kind of like tricking your eye into seeing something that isn't there, like, but it is. It's seeing it, sorry, it's seeing it in a way that's not really normal, we'll say. Um, but the telephoto, I feel like, just adds another layer of distraction on there where I'm like, it, it just has like a weird kind of hypnotic feel to it. And I'm like, not really into that, I guess. But obviously, it's a creative choice. And some people might like that. So it just really depends. But yeah, I, I like more depth than, I guess, a long exposure if I can. So that usually means shooting with a smaller aperture, um, a wider angle if I can, um, and just going from there. I know the. Um... No, Alistair Ben. Uh, I've mentioned him on the show before. He does some really close-up, long-exposure waterfall stuff. Like he is so like into the intimate landscape that he won't even shoot the wide angle. He'll just go right into the tiny, tiny details of like the tiniest little rapid, um, and it works. I mean, it works. He does nice long exposures. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different style. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying like like me or anyone's exempt from like you shouldn't try this, but I'm just saying it's like if you want a, a classic, we'll say postcard, dare I say, like photograph of like a waterfall, you know, you're probably going to shoot a wider angle, but yeah, uh, of course be creative and like if you want to get in closer and tighter with your your framing, um yeah, just get that shot of just the water flowing. I've done that many times and it's a lot of fun to get that kind of more um abstract side, which we can touch upon that here in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I guess we can do it now if you want, really. Okay. <laughs> we talked a lot about waterfalls, but yeah, I will I will just mention quickly, like don't discredit creeks. I love creeks. There's so many around here in my area because Ohio doesn't have big mountains, but we have lots of waterways. So um, yeah, don't discredit like rivers and um, other smaller waterways that may, maybe at first glance aren't much, but like they're still very beautiful. Um, and you can find plenty of little areas and uh, what they call babbling brooks where there's just shallow water and uh, to make photographs of long exposure of that so yeah definitely check those out if there's any in your area do your research and see if there's any good ones i i'd like to think there is you know for most people um and then yeah, and, you go ahead oh uh yeah you you really don't need the height of the waterfall uh like no like you said don't discount creeks like you can get long exposures of rapids and it can create this as engaging of an image I feel like people, yeah, people like the big drop-offs, the big waterfalls, you know, stuff that's just really grand and massive. But, like, I, I really appreciate the, I guess, more intimate kind of long exposure landscapes of just the smaller creeks. You know, you get down on that really low ground level and uh, photograph them as there are. You know, there's something special about them that are still, like you said, worthwhile to take an image of. Yeah, definitely don't discount them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... All I, right, I, so... I want to touch upon. I want to touch upon abstracts um, just a little bit. So, like we said, yeah, using like a, a smaller telephoto, maybe like a zoom lens, 
and uh, getting some tighter shots of the waterfall. Maybe maybe just the water itself, or maybe just a small sliver of the entire uh, falls. That, that could be a cool technique to use. Um, and then your settings will be kind of consistent, I'd say, with that. It might be a little bit different depending on your lens, obviously. Um, and then other abstracts you could do are just like, you know, get creative with it. You could be like, if there's a bird flock, that's like a flock of birds that's just taking off from the ground, get a long exposure of that and you get the wing beats and every all the motion and commotion with it, you know, that comes with it. So there's just lots of different techniques. Um, that's stuff I don't do too much, but that's simply because the opportunities haven't really uh, been presented in front of me, but, you know, stuff to look out for. So it's not just waterfalls with this kind of technique. Yeah, with the, the bird flocks, if you're having trouble getting a bird in flight, um, why not try to miss the focus, you know, intentionally and get that nice blur? Mm -hmm. Or even like prop the camera on a tripod and let the, I'm not going to say throw a rock at a flock of geese or, you know, birds, but like, you know, just like let them, I don't know, let's say they do take off by some, you know, happenstance, like just let that kind of dictate the shutter um, and have it like on that static position, like on a tripod. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. You know, like a yeah. waterfall-esque image of birds. <laughs> there you go. Even, maybe even throw an ND filter on there. There you go. Yeah, except the rising instead of falling, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And then um, another, I guess we could touch upon another, um, I guess people really, I'm not sure if you really consider this a long exposure, but panning, um, if you're going for like a blurred ah. motion. Um, I know you touched upon this a little bit already, but yeah, like if you're tracking a bird in flight, most people... Uh, would think to get just a nice you know right in the middle of the movement like bird in flight shot i guess um but like maybe you should go through something more creative sometimes um whether it's a mistake or not i guess but go for like a nice pan of it but get that blur in there as well to imply the movement so it's just stuff to like try out and experiment with yeah that's i've never really done panning but i have seen a lot of good stuff with it like um like deer i've seen a lot of deer panning shots when they follow the deer oh yeah 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 that'd be good yeah it just like find um i'm trying to think of like a good beginner example because on, honestly i don't do this kind of technique too much but i really want to do more of um i'm thinking like maybe like if you have like a local community park with like a pond and you have some ducks and geese that might take off and land a lot maybe try that um if that's too fast maybe go for like an egret or something i don't know or even deer can sometimes if you catch them I'm not saying chase them, but like if you catch them by surprise or something and you're close up and ready, um, you might get some of them running away, of course, from you. And you can take some kind of panning type shots as, as well. That's definitely a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people tend to restrict panning to like the automotive field of photography, but it, it can definitely be used in nature frequently. Yeah. And obviously like, um, I, I feel like it goes without saying, but like if you're using to freeze the frame, freeze the action and movement, you'd use a really fast shutter, like a thousandth of a second plus, you know, or more. But um, if you want to like pan and slow it down, you probably use, I'm going to guess like something like 500th of a second for like a fast moving bird or something, you know, just try and experiment and see what you can really come up with. You know, there's no camera saying that really dictates how to do this technique. Um, it's just whatever the, the situation implies for and there, there's really no technically perfect image, so oh no, if no, it's blurry. You know that's your creative intent. I mean, unless that's not what you meant to do. But if you're trying to do it, you know that's your creative goal. Yeah, definitely. It, it could be a mistake, but you know, maybe you should just sometimes roll with the punches. It could be a fun photo to edit later on. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So what? Uh, so we kind of touched on like the different shutter speeds you can use for long exposures, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of important to balance your ISO and aperture. So what do you generally do for that? Like, what are your rules? Um, okay, ISO, I would say the lower the better, which like pretty much goes for most imagery anyways, but like the lowest I can get it within reason. So if I want to keep, like retain the shadows and like, uh, let me paint a picture, I guess. So it's it's like green foliage, spring, summer day. Um, overca- it's kind of overcast lighting. There's some sun peeking through, but like there's nice deep shadows. I'm deep in this woodland and there's this waterfall, pretty big one. Um, I want to retain as much shadow as I can because I just don't want it to be overexposed and just too bright below with the highlights, of course. Um, so I'd probably keep it like an ISO 200 or lower. Um, obviously, I could bump it up to you know, 400, 640, uh, 500, you know, just keep it around that range. Nothing probably higher than 800 just because that'd be too bright for my taste. Um, but I definitely want to keep the shadows in that case. And the lower, the better is always great um, because, like I said earlier, if it's like a big waterfall, I'm probably going to be using a faster, or excuse me, a slower shutter, um, which would, you know, let in more light. And so if you have the ISO really low, you can, you can further slow down that shutter as well. Um, and so with aperture, I, I kind of keep in the mid range. I guess you could say it's on the smaller aperture end, which uh, would obviously put a greater depth of field. So I'm probably around F9, which I guess is still pretty wide, but like I would go all the way up to like F16 if I need to. Obviously that depends on the depth of the scene in front of me, but um, every, every situation is different, but those are just kind of like my general, I guess, benchmarks for this kind of imagery as well. Yeah. So that sounds pretty good. What would um, you do? When, when it comes to me, I, uh, usually F8, F11, um, I'm not like a big, like F14, F16 guy. <laughs> like, um, I really like focus stacking. I do it a lot. Um, okay it's it's pretty easy to do on like photoshop so uh i'll tend to do f8 because on my lenses it's like the sharpest point you can get uh after that starts to you know degrade a little bit uh right so i'll do f8 um i'll focus on usually three points in the waterfall scene um obviously one on the waterfall one on kind of the mid ground and then one on the immediate foreground which is like right in front of the lens uh and yeah that usually comes together and produces a pretty nice shot um sometimes i'll even do more uh images it just really depends on kind of what the scene is and kind of like what the distance is between the subjects uh, right. and for iso uh it's i'd like it to be at 100 ideally because you know that's the best dynamic range but if there's a shutter speed that lends better i'm not afraid to bump it up anymore uh, and I'm comfortable going up to like 2000 for landscapes on my camera. So, yeah, if your camera allows it, I mean, if it allows it and you like the noise, I guess, with it. So, do you, like, let's say, because you said you, I mean, you shoot wider a little bit, probably more than I would comfortably with this kind of image or subject matter. But, like, if the waterfall is in the background, let's say, would you obviously focus on the water there? But, like, would you drop? kind of the depth of field, I guess, out of focus in the foreground a little bit more? I mean, is that kind of um, like a it, really, it really depends on what the foreground is. So I, I do that sometimes where I just focus on the waterfall, F8 or F11. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really just depends because if there's an interesting foreground, I'll, I'll want to get it all in focus. But if right. not, I'll try to get it in one shot. I guess F11, F11 uh, excuse me, F11, cut that out, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I guess F11 is really kind of more on the smaller side. It's kind of in the mid range. So like, I guess it's not going to make it too soft, but yeah, I'm, I'm just imagining like, like there's a big rock or boulder right in the foreground and it's going to be kind of blurred at the edges of the frame. But um, obviously that, that could be a creative choice. Like there's people that probably shoot waterfalls that shoot wide um, for all we know, <laughs> and they make great photographs that way. So it's just really a stylistic choice. Like most of this is. I try to, the reason I really use F8 and F11 is I try to blur out the uninteresting parts. Like, I, mm. I want to get the majority of the scene in focus. So if there's like a rock, maybe a log in the mid-ground, and then the waterfall in the background, I want to get that all in focus. But then right. when you kind of look at the edges, there might be some, like, grasses yeah. or just twigs. things that don't... Yeah, twigs I'm that don't need branches. to be in focus. <laughs> I hate it. I hate like it. the mess, you know, like the, the mess of the forest. Like, you don't always want that in focus. And kind of when sometimes when you go to F16 or 22, it can get really this kind of undesirable, almost too in focus look. Right. Um, yeah, I, I definitely no, agree with you. And I guess yeah. that's one of the many drawbacks of shooting wide angle uh, landscapes like this is that you do include a lot of nonsense and distractions. But you know, I guess that makes it part of the challenge as well is that you have to kind of eliminate them as much as best you can. Or even just later on in post, you know, just clone them out. So it, it is tricky, though, with those. And, and a lot of waterfalls, which is a whole topic in of itself, in my opinion, but um, a lot of waterfalls are really not that scenic. You know, a lot of them are really beautiful and stuff, but a lot of them are just kind of in these really just not good looking parts. And even if the flow is like very beautiful itself, you know, they're just the, the backdrop, I guess, surrounding it's not really quite as, we'll say, scenic as some of the other ones are. Yeah, you just really have to work with if you got, you know, some environments you can go wider, show the forest, others that maybe in a suburban area, and you really got to just focus on the waterfall more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it depends. That's, um, yeah, uh, with my new 1635, I haven't done any waterfall stuff yet, but I have done like wide angle scenes and it, it there's a lot that, you know, gets in your frame. 16 millimeters on full frame is like crazy wide, like it's... <laughs> insane so much so wide it's it's very different from 24 millimeters like it's a, a vast oh, yeah. difference yeah. so that's that's definitely gonna be interesting um when i start getting into waterfalls um you got to keep in mind when you've got like a wide angle lens it if you angle it a certain way like if you angle it down it'll make the uh background smaller and the foreground larger Mm -hmm. really exaggerated so you have to keep that in mind you know if you want to prominently show your waterfall i wouldn't suggest pointing it down because then you know your main subject will become a random boulder instead <laughs> of a waterfall so you just really got to keep that in mind when you're doing that well that can emphasize that that certain natural feature like maybe you do want that boulder to be really prominent in the front you know mm -hmm. in the center in the foreground but um yeah definitely in this case it, it depends like i've taken shots where it's mm -hmm. like that that foreground's really emphasized by that lower angle. Um, but yeah, naturally, if you want to just yeah. like, if you want to shoot a waterfall dead on, you want that camera, uh, the focus plane, that's basically you want the camera to be level, um, eye level straight on with the falls, because it's going to introduce that perspective dis distortion um, that can, you know, be very ever present with these kind of things, these really tall subjects in a lot of cases. And it, it really all depends on how close that waterfall is. Like if your foreground object is close and then the waterfall's close, you should be fine tilting your lens down because naturally it won't be as small. But if it's like across like a creek, you should really point it straight ahead. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense though. Do you, so do you use any filters? I mean, it's probably an obvious oh, yeah. question, but like, like oh, what yeah. kinds, what kinds do you use, I guess, in particular? Cause um, um, so I've got three, well, I've got two right now. Um, but I've got a six stop, which also has a built-in polarizer. So it's a six stop polarizer filter. Um, and I've got a 10 stop. Uh, six stop is like, really is my waterfall filter. I never find myself needing a 10 stop. I think that's way too long for waterfalls. Uh, I, I really don't like the completely blurred out look of waterfalls, unless it's like a really, really um, soft light, fine art situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but mostly I like the six stop. It still shows some movement, but you get like that one second, like two second shutter speed range on like a cloudy day. Um, and that has a built-in polarizer, which I would say is essential for waterfalls. Um, to get those reflections out, unless you want them, of course, but get those reflections out, saturate those greens, um, and get that ugly glare off of the waterfall. So I use that. Um, I've got a polarizer coming in the mail um, because I've never had a separate polarizer, which was quite the limitation for a while. So I would always have to put my ND filter on to polarize the scene. Uh, that didn't affect me too much with waterfalls, but with other things, that was a bit of a challenge. Um, but yeah, so those, make sure you have a polarizer and an empty filter. I, I guess I will say as a caveat, like if you're just starting out with long exposure, you don't really need those filters. I mean, it's I guess that's a hot take, but like you really don't. Mm. But like, but I will say is like it's especially at the very least get a nice quality polarizer. You don't really need a neutral density for most waterfalls, but like to make great shots, I think. But a polarizer at least I feel like is like near to near essential for this kind of, you know, imagery, but are those I would like, say if, sorry. Is that, yeah. Are those circular uh, filters that you're using? Yeah. I use screw on circulars. Um, I bought, I buy them all in 82 millimeter filter size. Cause that's the size of my largest lens. And then I have step up rings to adapt down because I, right. I buy the polar pro filters, which are fairly expensive. Um, so I don't want to buy a set for each of my lenses. Um, right. So I just use step down rings. Those are good quality, at least from what I heard that brand. Yeah. Do you use any stops? Apparently, the step down adapters. No, you don't. No, they're just uh, pretty thin, nice rings that don't get stuck. Um, and main reason I bought them is they're very future proof. Like someday I plan to, you know, upgrade to maybe like a forty-five megapixel camera or something <laughs> down the road. But someday, um, and these filters can apparently resolve four hundred megapixels. So. I think I can use them on all my cameras. I think so, yeah. Is there any vignetting with those as well? Uh, no, I was very surprised. I was really? testing my 16 millimeter and 16 on full frame. I mean, man, that if that's filter's going to vignette, <laughs> that'll be on that. So yeah. uh, no <laughs> vignette. <laughs> yeah. And that that's was awesome. even with a step down ring, which can also introduce vignetting. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, for I guess for what I use, yeah, I do use neutral density and polarizers a lot, um, especially for this photography mainly. Um, I use, I think I use, what do I use? Hoya filters. Uh, I believe that's how you pronounce them. Um, and I use HRT polarizers. Um, my, mine are circular like yours, Henry. They're like screw-on ones. Um, mm -hmm. You can always get those sheet of glass ones that drop in a slider. I think they're called, I don't know what, are they called slider filters or something? Uh, I, forget the, sure. I forget the name of them, honestly, but off the top of my head now, but... Um, I use the screw on ones as well, just because I, I find them to be 
you know, well enough for my purpose. And uh, yeah, so I use, I use polarizer ones, a nice quality one. Um, all my lenses have them, but like I said, I probably use wide angle fo focal lengths the most with this kind of photography and uh, neutral density is something I really don't pay attention much to, but I will just say maybe get like one or two good ones, like one that's like a, a three stop or a five stop or even more, you know, and just get something that's really dark for those, you know, every once in a while kind of falls that you might find or any kind of Personally, subject matter. Yeah. Personally, I would suggest even uh, six and 10, uh, but that's just different difference in artistic style but yeah maybe yeah. three six i was, and 10, I was gonna say yeah if you have the... yeah good point yeah i mean it's like the darker you want it but like you're going to prolong that shutter of course and i guess i will say and this is also kind of like creative choice i guess um i don't really want like a nice or not nice but like a just a white blob of like water i want some yeah. kind of detail to be retained in there i want some if it's mm. blue like i want some of that blue to show up in the photograph at the end um, I don't want to just be like a white overexposed blob, or even if it's in uh, improper exposure, like if it's just a white blob with no like lines or streaks, like, like what good is that really? You know, you want to kind of imply that movement. Yep. It just looks kind of awkward. I rarely, now. yeah, I rarely use that 10 stop for the waterfalls, I will say. Um, it's mostly just for like seascapes or like lakescapes. Right, to right. To get that nice like uh, glass-like look. Um, and also for clouds. People forget that you can blur out clouds with like yeah. very long filters. Yeah, and that's a cool technique. I, I really haven't done much of that, but it's on my like list of shots to take someday, I guess. You know, stuff to just experiment uh, with. But yeah, doing a long exposure of clouds is really cool. Um, at least the examples I've seen. And it kind of it shows that movement um, as well. So especially if it's like a fast moving cloud day, like after a but other than that, I have no announcements, I don't think. I just keep posting on YouTube lately, so check that out there. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching the Owl Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.